Today we are in conversation with Kyle Shaman who is a spiritual life coach, healer, cartomancer, mentor, teacher and also has published a book. He has been in the journey of being spiritual for more than 30 years. He along his wife is actually following a practice from last 10 years and he's trying to help people by explaining the deeper understanding of spirituality about life and making it accessible to everyone so welcome to the show kyle thank you thank you i appreciate that glad to be here so kyle i'm really interested in knowing some of your early years information how it was for you and how you got into where you are right now i don't know do we have time <laughs> it could be long <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'll, let's give you the short version. Um, I grew up Christian. Um, it, shamanism has been something of a later development in my life, and even at that, it took some time before I actually understood uh, how to how to name it because I didn't know really what what the experience was. A lot of my early life spent as a Christian, I believe, set the stage though for learning to be dedicated, learning to be committed to uh, a path, and that's one of the biggest discoveries that I had very, very early on. Even though I moved away from Christianity, it a lot of the the tenets that I learned. were somewhat applicable uh, into shamanism. So I think with the experiences that I've had um probably the biggest one that really catapulted me into taking on uh, my own spirituality as a personal developmental role was sort of a almost fatal altercation I had with a family member of mine. And uh it left me pretty broken um very very emotionally broken um i had suffered with uh cold sweats every night for like 3 months where I, i would wake up in the middle of the night um completely drenched like physically drenched in cold sweats and eventually i thought to myself i'm probably not going to live to see 25 if, if this continues and uh so i had to figure out what to do i didn't have anyone though um i was living at an uncle of mine at the time and i remember very distinctly one night when i had woken up out of the cold sweats uh my chest was pounding so hard you know like most for most people when you when you get like a, a strong palpitation you kind of hold your chest and sometimes you you have like a fist on your chest so that's basically how i woke up but my heart was pounding so hard that i was feeling my heart beat ricochet through my fist to the back of my hand that's how strong it was and that's when i realized uh, i think i might be in some trouble here because <laughs> I don't know if I could handle another one like that. Yeah, I can understand. And uh that was it was a few moments later I 
I remember, to this day, I remember very distinctly hearing a deep, strong, authoritative voice say, face your fears. And it resonated with me in a very profound way. And it also kind of shocked me because I had never had that type of experience before. I've had similar experiences within Christianity because of several um, events. Like my dad had a gospel band and we did evangelical work. We were doing like 150 shows a year for like 12 years, you know. So I'm used to having spiritual experiences, but there was nothing that was like that. And I slept, I went back to sleep, woke up the next morning, and it just kept bugging at me, you know, repeating the words, face your fears. So that's when I started to think, well, okay, what am I actually afraid of? Since I grew up Christian, well, there's only one thing to be afraid of, the devil, <laughs> right? And uh, then I thought to myself, well, I'm not really afraid of anything, let alone the devil. So, you know, I kind of logic it out that I'm not actually afraid of the devil. So what, what am I afraid of as opposed to who am I afraid of? Because I've never actually really had like personal fear of anyone, um, which I know might be strange to say, but I've never really had that. I just, you know, I, I always thought that it was just more of a thing as opposed to a person. And I started asking that question, what am I afraid of? And it turns out that associated with the devil, I remember very clearly reading, especially in the Old Testament, several um, <laughs> several stories and accounts about magic. And I know a lot of people don't even know that that's there in the Bible, but <laughs> there are several instances where people of God who were accustomed to speaking with God directly, they basically just told God, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you won't talk to me, I'll go find somebody else to talk to. <laughs> and... Um, and the magic that was described, it was very powerful. It was really, really destructive stuff. So that got me thinking, well, I guess I am afraid of magic. So the logic said in my head, well, if I do this, chances are I'm going to hell. <laughs> so if I find out it's real, I win. If I find out it's not real, well, I can handle the consequences. I still win. <laughs> Because I needed to find out how to get rid of this, this palpitation and cold sweat and anger and PTSD and anxiety and depression that I was experiencing. Because it, was, it wasn't just uncomfortable, it was actually life-threatening. And once I had that part figured out that this was the fear I was facing, I needed to understand the fear. And the only way I thought to do that was to study it. And I've always, I did that my entire life. Anything I didn't know, I always found a way to find some form of material, a book, a person to talk to and study it. So <laughs> I, I was actually having this discussion uh, very early this morning with my wife. You know, we were, we often kind of reminisce a few things, you know, and, and I said to her, you know, I finally remember the bookstore that I went to back then. So, I mean, we're talking like, back in the 90s, um, in my home country of Trinidad, where I'm from. 
and the name of the bookstore is Ishmael M. Cat. <laughs> and if you wanted to get a book for any reason, um, all they carried every school's book for every single curriculum. So that was basically the only place that you went to. There were other stores that might have had some stuff, but they always had all the stuff. So I went there, and you got to think about the scene almost like back in the old school day of when you had to go to <laughs> go to the drugstore to buy condoms. You didn't really want anybody to see. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, that's kind of how I did with the books. Like I, I made circles around that, pop, that part of the bookstore. Eventually, I stopped, and then I started... Uh, perusing the books. And there were two of the books that, uh, I think they had maybe four books in that section, and two of them were calling out to me. Interestingly, the first one was Golden Dawn Magic. And as I was reading through that book, there was, it was so wild to me. I mean, when I think back about it now, it's like, man, I should have got that one, <laughs> you know, but it was so wild to me about how um, they were describing things, and I just thought, nope, can't handle it, and right next to it was another book called Magic for Beginners by J.H. Brennan. That was the one I picked up, and the biggest reason I picked it up because the back of the book uh, stated that if you get through the first half of this book, the promise is that the author would teach you to materialize a $100 bill. So I thought, well, this would definitely be a proof point, <laughs> since that's, based, that's how I base uh, my life on. And I bought the book, brought it home uh, to my uncle's place, and I began reading it right away. By the time I got to chapter 3, of that book with the meditations that he talked, which was interesting because I think it was in chapter two. The method that he talked about with the meditation preparation, I swore that thing was written just for me because he was describing how to deal with problems that created mental issues. I just went through that. So my mind was already blown by the fact that, wow, he's describing exactly how to resolve the problem that I am currently experiencing. And that's where it took off. Um, by the time I got to chapter three, I remember waking up the next day from sleeping for 10 hours. And this is a full 10 hour sleep after three months of not sleeping. And I, I remember being in shock because the sun was up already and I, I, had to, I had to really try to fight every feeling that I had in the moment because it was extremely overwhelming, like I actually slept. I remember I actually did cry because I, I slept. And then my logical brain kicked in because I remembered the original thing, face your fears. So I'm thinking, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this could be the work of the devil. I mean, if I was him, <laughs> I would make this work just to, just to reel me in. <laughs> you know, and 
it wasn't enough for me to stop because I was committed to making this happen. I was committed to understanding the fullness of the fear. So I continued on with that book right up until the second half. And that's where things began to be very interesting for me because in order to produce this $100 bill, there were a series of meditations that he also took you through. And this was another thing that I remember so clearly. He said, you know, <clears throat> prepare yourself, you know, if you have to put on different clothes, whatnot. And a few months prior to moving to my uncle's place, uh, I used to practice Kung Fu. So I had I had a, a Kung Fu gi set up, you know, that I used to use. So that's what I did. I put on I put on the Kung Fu gi and you know, it was on my bed and I remember the last line of the ritual well it was all in Hebrew. The last line of the ritual was Leolaim Amen. I never actually got to say that line. Why? Because my uncle knocks on the door. Something, oh man, <laughs> busted. <laughs> and so I get up, I go to the door, and the door sort of open from the inside on the left, so I just kind of cracked the door open <laughs> and, you know, just kind of showed my eyes. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> and he looks, he's like, are you busy? I'm like, eh, kind of. <laughs> and he said, you know, I got to tell you, because he used to drive a taxi. He said, I was going to be home like about two hours ago. And I had this sudden urge come over me, make another trip. So he did, because he was that kind of guy. Like, you know, you just follow his intuition. And he said, I was going to come home again. And then this urge came over me again. He says, just make another trip. And, you know, Kale might need some money. That was the follow-up thing that he heard in his mind. And then he kept, he's like... Every time he tried to come home, he couldn't do it. And then when he made all those extra trips, he felt the release from it. Okay, I could go home now. So he said, he said, I don't know if you need this, but here. And he hands me 520s. <laughs> so now I'm in full panic mode <laughs> because I didn't finish the ritual. He hands me 520s. I'm looking at him. He tells me the story. I'm looking at the 20s. And I'm looking back at where I was laying down. I'm thinking, holy crap. <laughs> that just happened. So that was the big experience that I had. And the part of the book that goes beyond that had said, you could stop here or you could continue. If you stop here, you've gained some really valuable skills. And, you know, it's the author's hope that, you know, you could take those through your life with you. But Let me you guess, you, you didn't stop there. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> hell no. <laughs> He said, basically, if you go beyond this, you can't unsee this. Well, for somebody with my mind type, you, you can't tell me that I can't unsee something. <laughs> Now I really want to see it, right? 
And it was great because the rest of the book took me into um, ceremonial magic, which I hadn't had an experience with. And it really gave me a proper foundation for understanding the broadness and the expanse of the reality that I had an inclination to believe there was a possibility it could exist to right there in your face here it exists <laughs> that's how that's how the journey really um, accelerated and everything from there were just steps that I I guess was thrown into more so um, most of it has always been I guess for want of a better explanation, more of a shy experience simply because I grew up Christian. And when I emigrated to, to Canada, um, it, that was another giant leap because now I had more access to more content. And I bought books like you wouldn't believe. I went to town. I, I think I spent like $5,000 on books within the first two years of being here. And I soaked it all up. The disappointment I found was that everybody regurgitated the same thing. And I don't know if, it, you know, if your listeners have ever experienced that, you, you know, you get this really new book, you think it's all so cool, and you realize, wait a minute, I read the same thing here in like four other books. <laughs> like, what is going on here? And then I realized... Yeah, that's the industry. Um, it, it came down to me really pushing the envelope and wanting to face the further fear of having to interact with spirits. That's what really um, helped me to go further and realize that there is an intelligence behind the intuitions that I was receiving. And once I began to get over that fear, um, I think pretty much all bets were off. And then, yeah, that's, that's when I began to realize a lot more potential than, than uh, was initially presented to me. Thank you so much for giving this interesting story about you, I'm sure this must have been a roller coaster ride for you, starting from where you were to experiencing the thrills in that book, right? Going through a series of different emotions and seeing something being manifested when you never expected it to. So uh, I think that is a good validation for everyone listening that at times all it takes for us to do something different is to face our fear. Absolutely. And start to look at things in a deeper way, in more natural way, as opposed to just seeing things on the surface mm -hmm. and not really getting connected with things. So thank you so much, Kyle, for this information, because I'm sure this experience of yours will be resonated by many people out there. So after you had this experience, mm -hmm. let me bring you to how it brought you to being a shaman and what does it mean to be a shaman right so 
there was one other experience that helped to create the transition. And it also came from that same book. Uh, my very first experience working with uh, what we call non-corporeal sentience. So in other words, spirits. <laughs> they don't have bodies. We can't see them. Uh, right. But they're there. And they're also self-aware. Um, this was a part of the ceremonial ritual that I was doing. Uh, I went, I was actually staying at uh, another cousin's house. I kind of moved around a lot, but, you know, in my young adult life. And so I was at another cousin's place. And it worked out that uh, him and his mom were out of the house for the day. Now, to sort of give the, the background or the backdrop on this, uh, in the Caribbean, houses aren't, they're built with bricks instead of, you know, like, you know, construction board like it is in North America. Yeah, that's so, how we have in India as well. Right. So um, if air has to come in the house, it, it has a very direct path. <laughs> so just, uh, just, just to give you the, the preamble on that. So the setup was that I was calling in uh, the quarters and then the angels of each of these directions. And I remember as a part of that ritual, uh, starting in the east, uh, normally you would have an implement of some sort, you know, to, uh, as they say, cut through the veil, mm -hmm. you know. And of course I didn't, so I decided to use my hand, which the author of the book said it's totally okay to just use your hand. So the, in the East, uh, air is the representation there. So when I put my hand directly in front of me and I cut through with this sort of visualization, I remember very distinctly feeling this massive rush of physical air hitting my face. And I thought for a second, wait a minute, did I leave a window open? There was no windows open. Uh, the curtains weren't moving. There was nothing else within the vicinity of where I was in the living room that moved based on air flow. So, of course, I'm in the circle. I can't move. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, i got to finish this. And the same thing happened for each of the directions. When I went to the south, um, it got warm to the point of almost hot. Um, when I went to the west, I felt my hand um, became wet when I cut through it. And I felt like if water was falling down to where my feet was, so my feet was experiencing coldness. Um, when I went to the north, it felt like I put my hand... I don't know if you've ever felt this, but if you can, can, if you can imagine what cold black mountain dirt feels like, that's, you know, like maybe midday, you know, not quite wet, but just that sort of really rich feeling. That's what I felt like I put my hand through. <clears throat> and when I completed that and then dismissed everyone and then there was nothing, that was the profound moment that told me, okay, that just happened. This is for real. So... Fast forward to after my stint of buying so many books, I eventually found this one website uh, about a guy named uh, 
Carl Hans Wheels. And um, his technology is that he develops uh, radionics equipment. equipment. And part of the material on his website led me to begin reading up on um, Abramelin squares. And he had mentioned a very specific name of this guy that I thought was interesting. So I started researching it. And it turned out <clears throat> the name was uh, Franz Bardot. And then I found out, okay, I need to go to my local bookstore. This was in Canada at this point. So I went to the witchy bookstore that I <laughs> usually visited. And the day that I went there, she actually had the book. So I thought, okay, this is, this is too much synchronicity. I'm getting it right now. <laughs> and <clears throat> that, the 10 chapters of that book was far more equivalent than the $5,000 worth of books that I bought. That's a, and it, it actually covered those $5,000 worth of books within the first five chapters. So I sold all those books. <laughs> like I immediately, from the time I got to chapter five, I sold every other book that I had, except with you know a couple of reference books. And that was the book that I kept on hand. I kept it everywhere. I still have the same copy to this day. And that led me to his second book, which was um, Magical Evocation. And it was a magical evocation that I discovered uh, some beings uh, that actually they basically pushed me to look at my heritage. Now, I always knew in my family that there was some form of shamanism because of pre-slavery. And there was a cousin of mine that actually did some research and she found um, the basic, <clears throat> basically the name of one of the slaves that uh, we were directly related to and found out, you know, where he's from and whatnot. So the lineage actually tracks back to what's now called Benin. So I know that that's where, that's where our ancestral shamanism came from. So what you're saying is that you did not know that your legacy is of shamanism. Exactly. Your ancestor was shamans. Yep. And you did not know all of that. <laughs> and you no were proof. living like a suburban guy thinking of this world as completely like a materialistic world. And when you started to, or when you were forced to look into different, yeah. <laughs> deeper meaning, that's when you started to uncover all of that. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. So, I, you know, I found that out, that um, this is where it started. And... Um, I began to really dig deep into it. I couldn't get as many answers as I wanted to because even though I had gone up to that chapter five with Francis' work, I still found myself kind of struggling with a lot of the, the tools that he would explain. I still went through it though, because I mean, the way that I kind of study things, I, I'll go a book cover to cover and then just do it again. You know, because the second time you read, you always find some more gems. So I didn't really worry too much about that. So fast forwarding a little bit more, I met my wife, who is a natural born psychic. 
and and I mean that in every sense of the word. She's always had her psychic ability. When we met, she didn't even know that there were other people that were actually, you know, as that there was a community for this. And by that time, I had, I had gained you know enough uh, experience with the tools I had, so I was able to teach her. She and to this day, I think she's probably still the only person that I've ever gone that many days of teaching with like she was so she was so vigorous about training she was like okay if we're going to do this we're going to do this i'm like i said no 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 let me tell you if we're going to do this we're really going to do this she's like okay bring it on (laughs) and she she studied with me for 30 days straight consistently every single day and by the time we actually got into a relationship um we started doing scrying sessions. So, I mean, for your listeners, if you don't know what scrying is, uh, generally today it's referred to as remote viewing. Um, the method of scrying that we did was the two-man scry. So, basically, there's an operator and there's a receiver. So, I was the operator and she was the receiver. Um, the beauty about that system is the receiver never truly knows the nature of the information coming in. Uh, They just tell it as they receive it. And then the operator would be the one that would be able to discern or understand exactly what's going on. So when we got together, this whole idea of my ancestry came up again. And so we started doing those, running those scrying sessions. And that's when I found out, like, the bigger part of the story as to exactly what happened with my ancestry because I found out directly from the source. And, you know, like how... Because in, in my family, there was always a joke running around about there was a familial curse, you know, and I watched it happen. The, the, the men in my family never survived their first marriage. Not Maybe one of them, and he, he was different just because he understood what was happening and he was also uh, Voodoo trained, which I also am, but we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, uh, but none of the men ever survived their first marriage. Some never even survived the second marriage. And so it always bothered me that there might be some truth to that. And then I found out exactly why through those scrying sessions. And that allowed me to really prepare for what was happening and how to um, remove that from, from my person, you know, as not being a part of that curse. So basically, so that you are no longer impacted by that curse. Exactly. Because my, my, my first marriage didn't work out. And uh, all, all of the long-term relationships up until I met my wife now, they suffered the same fate. So like, I had first-hand experience of this. Um, you know, for whatever reason, the situations always ended that they, they were aggressively um, dissolved. So I, I needed to I needed to fix this because <laughs> here I am with this particular girl and I'm like I'm not giving this up like hell no, <laughs> and it was it was really really 
fortuitous that she had this particular skill so that we could build this together. Um, that's what allowed me to really find out more. And I hadn't known the reality of the act of shamanism until those crying sessions where I found out the, the story that was told uh, through those crying sessions. So the development in like taking ownership of my shamanism then um, brought me to try to find out what this was. So after I did a, few, you know, a bit of research about what is this word that kept coming up, I started seeing it all over the planet. And so now I could say, like affirmatively, um, what it means to be a shaman has to do first and foremost with <clears throat> zero religion. It, it, I know there are some who would disagree with that, but shamanism at, at its core um, has zero tolerance for religion because every part of our existence is based in energy. And religion, for all intents and purposes, even though it can be useful, it does try to exploit the energy as opposed to participate in the energy. So that, and that, that, that has, that's across the board. Um, with as many religions as there are, and some of them being older, especially the older ones, they do have a sordid history of destroying shamanic practice in order to build themselves up, <laughs> you know? And that in and of itself is not what shamanism proposes or abides by. The other aspect of what it means to be a shaman is that you develop a life of awareness. Um, awareness is the thing that takes you from simply being reactive to being responsive. So there's a there's a huge difference with you know shamans who are actively pr practicing properly, where you very there's very little reactive nature that depends kind of like on a survival mode. You you tend to be a lot more responsive. Um, and plan, you know, you, you plan a lot more. And you can understand synchronicities as they come simply because you know that they're not just synchronicities, that they are a part, they're, they are either a causality or an effect from a causality that you participated in. So it's a very responsible way of thinking and it's a very responsible way of acting. And it takes practice. It takes a hell of a lot of practice because our physical human mind is set up to sabotage us 24-7. <laughs> you know, so um, just, just in case your listeners are wondering, don't think you're going crazy, man. <laughs> Do not think for a second that you're going crazy. Your mind is set for sabotage. <laughs> so it, it takes a serious level of conscious effort um, 
to to practice the tools that would help you to always respond as opposed to react so just to summarize so shamanism is the the natural truth right without the yes. filter of any understanding or any name that we put like human society tries to come up with religions with traditions right. with some labels yeah. but shamanism is the is seeing everything the way it is meant to be exactly. in the natural form and the other aspect that you mentioned about being a shaman is that you be responsive as opposed to be reactive yes. so rather than living the way typically everyone lives in an mm-hmm. autopilot mode <laughs> yep. we don't have control over our thoughts we don't have control over our actions mm-hmm. and we don't think it through before acting right. at, at times even before we realize we have already acted exactly <laughs> so i understand when you say being responsive even though it sounds really simple yeah it is really difficult and at many a times you like you rightly said it may f- feel like you're losing your mind you're yep. <laughs> you're going into uncharted territory it is something really different because when you see the outside world you will not be able to find some of the correlation because some of the people around you yes. will not think that way yeah and in in their definition you will be different they'll immediately <laughs> categorize you as different yep <laughs> and you have to deal with that but at the same time be on your track understanding that all of this is actually a perception of everyone seeing things differently but of when course. they come to the real way of looking at it which is the base of shamanism is looking at everything as it is all of these perceptions would go away and it's they actually, would be there would be one truth it's actually really fascinating how fast um your realizations how fast they dissipate in the face of seeing things as they are you know like when when you take those filters away and and you're just looking at it for all intents and purposes of this discussion like when you're looking at it from a shamanic point of view to be responsive or to be able to plan your actions when you take away all of those facets of the way that society creates filters for everything and you just see the situation as it is I could understand because we get this from our clients too. I can totally understand why it becomes so scary because it feels really simple in that moment that oh what do you mean I just have to do this? <laughs> like I thought I had to like go, you know, do penance and go 10 years around the mountain like <laughs> you know and so I could I get that. I totally totally get that. I understand that difficulty you're talking about. um i i know it because I, my general my general character always goes to war if i could <laughs> if i just let myself go <laughs> the first one to go to war but i've learned over time there there's a time and place for defense and there's a time and place for offense but there's also the opportunity to just observe 
So uh, that and that's the challenging part to just sit back and observe before you act. It is it is that that's the biggest challenge. I can understand why it is because our mind is is a monkey mind, right? Something oh, from boy. one branch to another. <laughs> so that that's really really good to know. The other side, something I think would be interesting for our listeners would be, mm-hmm. what are some of the tools that shamans use? Mm-hmm. And some of those tools, I'm sure, would help people take that extra time before they act when the thought comes. Right. So a combination of, of a number of things. One of the biggest tools that I learned um, through Franz's work is clarity. You can only develop true clarity um, with self-knowledge. Interestingly enough, almost every uh, system that has purported itself to be in existence, kind of older than time sort of a deal, um, all of them have a similar statement and similar sentiment. Uh, the most popular one that uh, gets touted around spiritual circles is "Man, know thyself." Uh, there hasn't been any like formidable system that goes without that. Uh, you'd find it in Wiccan philosophy. You'd find it in uh, Druidic philosophy. The, all of them at the beginning, even in Masonic uh, philosophy, at the very beginning of your study and training. It is geared for you to know who you are. That's the only way, and, and I've seen this time and time again, it is the only true way to develop clarity. The reason for needing clarity is because once your thoughts are clear, then you'll be able to truly understand what skill set you bring to the world. What are you capable of? When you can understand what you're capable of, you have the choice to decide if you're going to participate and contribute. You have the choice to decide what kind of life you want to live. I mean, you hear it from a lot of the like manifestation gurus and whatnot, but this is where they get it from. If you don't have that clarity, the whole system falls down. So when you talk about like you know our minds doing the monkey mind thing, right? It's very true. The only way to slow that down is to develop clarity. So as far as Franz's work is concerned with hermetics, the in order to begin understanding this clarity that you have to achieve, uh, silence of the mind is a big thing. But alongside that, you must understand your senses all six of them, which includes your intuition. You have to understand that, for example, well, actually, you know what? Why don't I, why don't I demonstrate this very, very simply, all right? Okay. And after I do this with you, I'll, I'll explain it for your listeners so that they can, they can try it for themselves. So just, just for your listeners, basically what I did, I wrote the word love on a piece of paper, and I had our host uh, repeat the word in his mind, uh, to prove a very simple point, if you heard without your physical ears and you spoke without your physical mouth, 
then your sensory perceptions and receptors are not physical. Right? If you can just understand all of spirituality from that simple demonstration, you have got a lock on the most basic aspect of how to get clarity. Because once you can separate the physical aspect of your sensory experience from your mental aspect of your sensory experience, now you can have sort of a time delay between what you think and how you act or how you respond. That's real clarity. Because when you think it and you put that bridge up to observe the thought, you now have full control of how you act or how you choose to respond. And that by far is the most powerful tool you can have. In fact, uh, as far as practicing shamanism goes, it is the most important tool. Because you have to be able to fully recognize what you are experiencing when you are in the spirit world. And you can't understand that experience if you don't even understand what your sensory experience is. The, the senses don't change. I think a lot of people get confused with that. When, when you are in the spirit world as a shaman, your senses do not change. You still have intuition inside you still have your sense of sight, you still have your sense of hearing, your sense of taste and smell and touch. You can feel things, you can feel textures, you can actually experience um, a larger variety of colors because the spectrum uh, widens when you are in the spirit world. So you can't really understand exactly what you're experiencing if you do not have a proper correlation between your physical experience with your physical sense of touch, your physical uh, sense of sight, um, the nuances of tasting when you eat food, right? All of those things, they just become a little heightened when you're in the spirit world. And that's why you need to have clarity. Because once you're able to understand the correlation between the two, not just like what we did with the demonstration of the sight word, but with all of the senses. And if, if you can just, if, if your listeners, if you can just get that part down, I promise you, your experiences will be way more profound. That's the real core beginning stages. Um, that everyone can practice whether you're pursuing shamanism or not. So what you're saying is to be a shaman, you need to have clarity. And in order to get clarity, you need to understand that we need to have silence of mind. Mm -hmm. And we also need to realize that the physical senses that we think are everything. We have inner senses and they are more powerful then these senses you can hear, say, experience many things, which we typically don't unless we start to pay attention to those. Exactly. And that's that's when you start to get clarity about the universe, things mm -hmm. around you. You start to have control over your mind because then you start to see your truer self 
yes. as opposed to what we currently see. Absolutely. So that's pretty good. Thank you so much for that. So that I guess would be pretty helpful for naysayers because they are doubters, right? Well, right People saying that, <laughs> oh, this is another fad word. There's another term that is coming up. It's yeah. the new term these days. So yeah. I'm sure when they go through this experience, the naysayers, they will definitely be able to experience something that they think does not exist. So that's exactly. pretty good. How about for some people who are looking to understand a bit more, but sometimes they need a little more broken down steps to get into something. So is there a recommended way that you have for people to get into being shaman or understand more about shamanism? Uh, sure. Um, a few years ago, I started writing out some instructions for a cousin of mine who asked me, uh, she, she loved the way that I described things. So she's like, you got to write these things down. I'm like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> and she kept bugging until I wrote it down. So I ended up writing down like six pages of six different steps. And, um, and she was able to get through those. Uh, through, you know, moving from place to place. Unfortunately, those steps traveled with me. <laughs> and... Uh, one one house that what my wife and I moved into, when we were unpacking stuff, she found these steps, and she's like, "You never told me about this. What is this?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, I was. I just wrote stuff down for my cousin. You know." She's like, "You have to write a book right now." <laughs> like, no. <laughs> of course, she bugged at me for like three years, and then I eventually wrote the book. So I do have a book uh, published. It's called Step to the Six Senses. And that book, it's about 200 pages, because I refuse to write anymore. But <laughs> um, the two in, inside those 200 pages, I take a person from uh, the presumption of zero knowledge. So you don't even have to be, you know, pursuing spirituality at all. Uh, but each of those steps help the person to identify uh, one of their senses in a very visceral way. And I take, I take the person through uh, a series of, of instructions that help to focus on that sense. So, for example, in the sight section, uh, you're taught how to how to see, how to see colors differently, how to see hues. Um, in the tactile section for touch, um, I, I I don't know I don't know if you know this, but you know there's there's a, a little paper game that kids use. I don't know if kids still play this called Tiddlywinks, where you, you make the paper into sort of a thing where you could like just. You open it up with your with your thumb and your fingers like that, and there's like numbers and whatnot, right? So, um, I have a version of that in there, so that you can fold like origami, see it folded, and then part of the test is to blindfold yourself and fold it in the same way, and to understand how sensitive your tactile uh, senses are. And a lot of that came because of my research into Braille. You know, Braille is, is a huge form of communication. And 
if you really got down to it to try to understand how uh, the blind use Braille to still experience our world, it will blow your mind. <laughs> you know, they're, they're fully engaged in every form of communication just by their um, awareness, their heightened awareness of the tactile sense, uh, sensory input they receive in their fingertips. I mean, that, if that alone doesn't tell you how ingenious a human being is, I, I don't know if we can call you human. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I took those approaches in that book uh, to help someone really uh, endear themselves to themselves. Uh, see what you can become that's more than who you are at the moment in a you know self-paced step-by-step way so that that's that's my recommendation so my last question to you kel is where can people find this book and if they want to reach out to you for any guidance coaching or any of the work that you do where can they reach you sure so the book is available on on amazon um you you will find two copies of it uh both are good both are the same book uh the newer one though is the one that has a picture of a girl's uh naked abdomen on it <laughs> i thought that would that would be a better appealing <laughs> graphic <laughs> uh but that's that's the one that i usually promote anyways uh as the newer version of the of the two so you can find it on Amazon for sure. Uh, it's called Step to the Six Senses. And uh, to reach out to me personally, um, I used to take like direct calls sometimes. Um, I found a platform that makes it a lot easier for me to reach more people. And it's called Wizio. So you'll be able to find me at wizio.com slash shaman. And it's a, it's a paid platform uh, where you just choose the type of service that I have listed from there. And uh, you send through the request, I get it, and I give you like a full video response. They allow for like 10 minutes of video response. And I find that's a, it's a really long time when you're trying to explain something because... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, there's so many words that you can tell within 10 minutes, it doesn't feel like it. Um, and so that's the platform that I use now as the, as the meeting place. Uh, if there are larger issues that are needing a little more tactile responses, uh, we take it from there. So, I mean, you still describe it on, on Wizio, and if it, if it comes to something a bit more serious where... You know, we need to be in constant contact to uh, create a resolution. Then, that's when I, I make uh, make direct contact either through email or messenger, as the case might be. So, thank you for that. So, people who are trying to get in touch with you, they can get to your video site. They can request a consultation with you. You're gonna respond back with a 10-minute long video covering every aspect of what they're looking for. Yes. And if they are looking for something 
more, something deeper or something different as well, they want to take further steps, then they can initiate contact with you or probably you can reach out to them. Yeah, usually that's when I would, I would share uh, uh, direct contact details. It was really nice talking to you, understanding your journey into shamanism from where yeah. you were experiencing those things. These experiences and the journey itself will be really helpful for people out there. Some of it will be resonated by people, what they're experiencing right now. And more so the awareness that you got, the realization that you got. I'm sure mm -hmm. people will be fascinated to find out more. They will be <laughs> encouraged to look at deeper understanding of the world not just relying on their mind, not just relying on their physical senses. Yes. They would start to go deeper and connect with their true self. That would be awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Kyle. Uh, it was really nice talking to you and I'll look forward to talking to you sometime again. My pleasure. Looking forward to it.